Hello and welcome to the Evolution of Business podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Brady, and I'm here today with Ty Hookway. Ty is founder and president of CleanCraft, a commercial cleaning company based in Rochester, New York, and covering all of upstate New York. CleanCraft was founded in 1995 and currently employs over 300 people. Throughout the years of growing and expanding, Ty was and continues to be in awe of the numerous people he has worked with. He believes in the incredible talent and inherent good of CleanCraft's employees. As a company, CleanCraft strives to create life-changing relationships by loving, coaching, mentoring, and upholding best practices throughout the organization. I'm sure we'll be talking about that a little bit today. The company's guiding tenet is that there is infinite power, dignity, and healing provided by work that gainful employment adds impressive and positive benefits to the human experience. Ty and CleanCraft are pioneering social enterprise in Rochester with innovative hiring and employee development practices. In 2015, Ty felt a passionate desire to adjust the mission statement to better reflect his commitment to making a difference. So the mission of CleanCraft is to create quality of life and peace for all. Ty is certain that the mission statement and running a successful, profitable enterprise are not mutually exclusive. Ty and CleanCraft support a conscious capitalism model and continually strive for a win-win relationship with all stakeholders. Ty is a serial entrepreneur with successful ventures in consulting and other small business enterprises. He's a member of various boards and active within his church. Ty has a math degree from Holy Cross College. He grew up in Rochester and resides there with his wife, Elizabeth, and their children. He enjoys golf, reading, and is an ardent, lifelong learner. Ty, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So you have uh, quite a story, and, uh, and I'd love to hear a little bit uh, about how you found your way from math at Holy Cross to, to the cleaning industry. I guess we all have our stories in life, but I, uh, I had a, a great experience of working for a local, um, my first job was with a gentleman named Rob Tortorella in a company called Corrosion Products, and he was just an unbelievably great guy, but I knew pretty quickly that I wanted to own my own company. So I actually started an a environmental remediation company that was really high-tech in the, in the early 90s, and it was, uh, we were using microbes to clean up oil spills. And not just oil spills, any type of uh, um, contaminated soil. So we would actually culture and develop the microbes just for that specific site. And it was just really, really cool. Um, had a great like three-year run, but the, um, the a lot of things changed in the economy and with uh, political changes actually. And the entire business model really turned bad quickly. It was actually, um, it went from... Um, Governor Cuomo to Pataki, so uh, Andrew Cuomo's father, yep. Mario Cuomo. So um, when Pataki came in, the entire world changed. And so then I found myself with uh, a business model that just really went from really thinking it's going to be amazing to um, really tough, you know. So I, uh, that was my first entrepreneurial uh, run, and it was devastating. And uh, so I sort of I said to myself, what's the most... Um, consistent, never going to change, technology won't change it type business. So I looked into uh, buying a Dunkin' Donuts franchise and cleaning. So um, for whatever reason, I chose cleaning. I'm a real clean freak at heart. And something <laughs> told me it was, it, it, fit my, it fit my soul. So it's a weird coincidence, but um, I've loved it ever since. It's been a perfect fit for me. So uh, Wow. And yeah. so did you start it was a was a franchise then, or it actually was a franchise. Yeah, so I started a, a company, a local franchise. I purchased the rights to, uh, for Service Master, and uh, so I learned the industry in a franchise model. And then we, uh, about twelve or thirteen years ago, we parted, and uh, so I've been on a sole, like running my own show since then. You own the business with it as a franchise, but you have a lot of support and guidance from the uh, from the company. So. Okay. And, and so a lot of those things, uh, as, as people may have been listening to, to your bio, hearing about the, uh, the infinite power and dignity and healing and, and how you're trying to have life-changing relationships by, by loving, coaching, and mentoring, very little of that was, was talking about, about cleaning. I mean, that, that was something that people may, may say, oh, a commercial cleaning company, interesting. So I know that you, a few years ago, I, I think you said uh, 2015, 
you wanted to adjust that that mission statement. You wanted to, uh, you know, really connect with it with a deeper purpose to your company. Can you point to anything specifically that that kind of led to that awakening, or or what what caused you to say uh, we can do more with with our company, or or was that something that you know was already part of your mission and you just needed to articulate it better, or or what caused that shift? Um, good question. The I have to give a lot of credit to uh, Service Master because as I looked, I had the opportunity to start without a franchise and um, in the uh, 90s, they were, I mean, really famous for an unbelievable brand in that their number one thing on their mission statement was honor God and all we do. Oh, wow. And, and that was the, you know, way before, probably before you were born, Andrew, but uh, the Enron time, there's really, it was like scandals and, you know, bad business practices were just proliferating, you know, it was just ripping the market apart. Um, and Service Master was a huge national brand that really was transparent at everything right. And um, so I was drawn to that early on through that franchise model. And then um, just the um, the experience of meeting people that every day work so hard doing a job that, you know, a lot of time isn't respected. And like, so they don't, I mean, I'm, I was in awe of the people. And I just naturally, with the service master sort of setting the tone, but I just... It just hit me as the number one thing is the connection with the people. And so it's I've been blessed to have that really my whole career. But I have, like everyone else, you try to get better and better and work on developing yourself over the years. So I think I've gotten better and better. So Okay. But and then and then in twenty fifteen was there was there anything that pops up that says, Hey, I need to revamp my mission statement or was it just feeling stale or well I think uh, like a lot of CEOs, you write your mission statement and your vision and you go through it and, um, you know, it's up on the wall and it's awesome, but it really wasn't, uh, um, you know, the company, all the the major um, stakeholders in your company weren't involved in making the the decisions and... uh, and it, it had to fit not just what sounds good for the company, but really at my soul level that really is because like, if they're totally aligned, it's so easy to live your life if it's, you know, the business is aligned with your personal thing. So um, I did uh, some work with different consultants. Andrew's one of them and, and is Andrew's father. But also, um, you know, I'm in a, in a group called Vistage that's really awesome and helped me really uh, work through that. So um, I think it's just the evolution of getting better at um, at the work. You know, I think by sure. 15, I think I'm... You get better and better, and that's uh, right now. I, I love the the mission and vision. I think it's right to my lowest worker. You can make decisions and think through um, any decision you have to make in my company. You can go, go to the mi- the mission and vision. They they can make it's it's clear and concise and easy to to understand. So now, were there were there any books you read or any programs or, or anything or you know how did you come up with that? If, if there's somebody who's saying. Yeah, my my mission is feeling a little stale. I'd love to revamp it. Um, any any advice you'd give to to a business owner? It's hard work. I have read like thirty books, but I'm not the type of guy to whip off all the authors. But I've read so many books, it's almost <laughs> I overdo that side of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, it comes a little bit like white noise because you read so many opinions. But I do think the, the trend the last 10 or 15 years when you've got companies like Southwest and we're blessed to have Wegmans in here in town, I think they've really helped, you know, smaller businesses, you know, start thinking what's the most important thing and how to create um, energy with everyone in your company. So it really wasn't one specific book or one specific thing. It's just a, a evolution. So sure. um, nothing's really specific. Okay. Um, so as as you then are are deciding on this this new purpose, you've you've kind of uh, it sounds like it's always been maybe in the in the ethos and the DNA, but you found a better way to articulate it to to, to more clearly uh, have that in your in your organization. What do you do once once you articulate that? Because quality of life and peace is uh, you know it, it's an ambitious, uh, and then some of the some of the things you were talking about about you know, healing and loving and coaching and mentoring and, and some of these things. How do you start to, to move in that direction? What were some of the practices that you implemented uh, to, to more fully bring that, that purpose to life? It, it's, 
it's like everything else is little things make a difference. Like I try to model that with all my one-to-one coaching and ask the people that I'm working with to, to cascade that down to the group. So it's just, it's just the little things every day where, where it's business has got pressure and there's concerns and worries. But I think if you have an overall thing that I really do care about your quality of life and I want to make a ton of money and succeed, they're not mutually exclusive. We can do it with that basic understanding people feel safer and I want to know what they're really up to like I you know don't um you don't have to just tell me all the good things you can tell me the truth of what's worrying you what your concerns are so um I think it was just a lot of building of trust and getting a foundation now by no means I think it's a start but I it's to me I just it's something we feel like it's almost every year you have to continually develop it it doesn't it never stops. You don't just, okay, I did it in 15, but I, to me, I feel like every year I'm reinventing it and getting better and better at it. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's got to be an intentional process. Uh, and, and really, because as you're saying, you know, it, it can really impact it. They're not mutually exclusive. In fact, I'd like to think anyways that oftentimes the, the purpose and the culture can, can be a positive reinforcement to that, to that profit and, and vice versa. Uh, but creating that, isn't going to happen by itself and it's never going to, it's never going to be a set it and forget it either. You know, it's a continual, continual process. So I'm curious as you're moving forward in your company and, and both in, in the past few years, since you've kind of been making more of this shift, but also moving forward, is that purpose and culture is that, does that impact your growth in a positive way? I know you're saying it's not mutually exclusive, but, but do they, have you found it to be supporting, uh, of, of one another? Absolutely. Um, I mean, you need good best practices when it comes to, you know, um, financial stewardship and the, uh, whatever industry you're in, the best practices in that industry, that, that's a given and you have to continually strive on that while at the same time developing a culture. Um, it, it, there's no magic, you know, silver bullet, but I, what I'm doing currently now to take it to the next level is I'm, I've picked four people to really run the company and I've been working on that for a couple of years. So I'm trying to transition to a, a really a complete, um, where these four people are truly running the company. So I'm investing in them to help them um, be better leaders and really get this not just from the from Ty, it's, it's even deeper into the roots of the company. So that's, and I really believe um, in doing so, I'm going to make the value of the company so much higher because it, it really can't be, the founders tends to be the center of a business and uh, it's hard to let go of your baby, if you will. And... Um, Anybody that's a founder, it's 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 a, it's an interesting transition. Some people are blessed; they do it naturally. I have not had that blessing. I tend to um, I want to help and I want to get involved, and that's been something I've been working on. But I I have an amazing team underneath me that I really think you know um, you know I could not be in the office for two months, and these guys could mm. probably do a better job than me. Sometimes I really believe that. Um, so I love the team that I've put together, and that's um, I'm excited about really taking it to the next level where they those they will lead the entire company. So I'm I'm that's really what excites me going forward right now. Yeah, especially when you are when it is your baby, you are the founder. Um and just general, you know, we all have a little bit of an ego where we want to feel needed and wanted, right? And we 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 don't want we we don't want it to uh not need us anymore, but at the same time Sometimes, as as a founder or, le- or leader, we can be the bottleneck in the in the growth of the company. If every decision has to come through us, or you know, how can we how can we delegate as as often as possible to to those folks and and empower them and and help them learn and grow a little bit as they're hopefully learning to to take on more more responsibility in the company. Absolutely, uh, Andrew. I think because uh, you talked about um, how does it help the value of your company. So, I. Um, when you have leaders underneath you that really get what culturally you're trying to do, but also the business side of it. And, um, you know, in our, in, in every industry, there's a, uh, there's a, what you can sell your company for. So it's a multiple of EBITDA, let's say. And, um, I, you know, have learned over the years and really believe like the, the people that sell their companies for the most and do the best exiting if you want to retire or transitioning it to someone else in your family is if the 
the owner has really all is leads and directs, but doesn't have day to day responsibilities. And these and everyone in the company really um, lives the culture without any um, direction or like day to day pushing of the owner. It makes the value of a company so much more. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm not talking a little bit. I'm, I mean, it takes your multiple. Sometimes can double your multiple. So I mean, this is. Everyone, you know, wants to say it's sort of the soft side of the business, but I, I think it is. You want to retire and really, really, you know, ring the bell. Um, the way to do it is to empower the people and create a rock star culture that you really don't have to be around. And that's really when a company becomes unbelievably valued to someone purchasing you. So I think it's it's a huge um, economic logic here. This is an uh, return on your investment is is why. It, it, and it's also more fun and enjoyable. So it's a, it's a, it's crazy not to do it. But we tend to get all of a sudden caught up in our business side, and we we think, oh, if we just, you know, if I clean the toilets faster and better, that's the way to really make the value more. It's actually not, you know. So um, I don't know. I, it's just economically, it's crazy not to do this work. Is, yeah, is, I really believe that, you know. Certainly, so. it's important to, you know. <laughs> get back to what your focus is and have high quality cleaning and you, like you're saying, but uh, I've actually heard you tell a few stories anyways where there were certain times where, where people were willing to pay a little bit more if your bid was a little bit higher than a competitor, uh, either because they, they knew that you were going to do high quality work, but also they knew how well you treated your employees. Uh, they knew that because of that uh, good treatment and, and great great culture that you had less turnover and you know they could depend on on the the certain people had had trust in in the people that were going to be showing up at their buildings uh, because you do have to have a lot of trust in the people that are you know going to be in your office buildings cleaning cleaning things when maybe nobody is around and you have to have a certain level uh, you know of trust in those folks and so they've I, I remember you telling a couple stories anyways of people that were willing to pay a bit of a premium to to work with you for those kind of more culture-driven, conscious capitalism type of reasons? I, I think so. You, you know, you got to be competitive. There's not, you know, there's no, you know. Sure. It's, it's, you got to be in, in the market rate. But I do think, um, I think there's companies that are meant to work together and there's companies that not aren't. And I really, like, I love to, I believe customers and vendors are meant to work together you know, symbiotically. I mean, I really know there's people that I really shouldn't work for. I mean, they're just, we're not a fit and there's nothing wrong with them. They are there's some amazing companies that I really don't think are a fit with, with me and other ones um, are a perfect fit. So I think there's, and it happens naturally in the marketplace, but like I literally choose now, like I want high end people that are, you know, super honest, transparent, will work with me. Um, you know, it, in my industry, in a cleaning industry, the fact is I've got a bunch, a, a bunch of amazing people, but issues will happen. I mean, it, you know, we're going to miss the trash. There's going to be minor issues that happen, and we're not going to lie or de, you know deflect. We're going to look you in the eyeball and say we made a mistake. And I, you know, there's other companies that love that kind of honesty. The other people that would prefer you to just, you know, cover it up. And um, so I think there's people. There's companies that are that are made to work together, and that's sort of what my passion in the last years is like really finding a great fit. And I say to someone when I'm bidding, you know, I want this to be a 20-year long-term relationship. When I'm going to screw something up, I'll make a mistake, but I'm going to run towards you, fix it. And similarly, you're going to make, make, make a mistake working with me, and I'm going to, you know, care about you and work with you through that mistake. So I think, um, I think there's companies that are just – have this type of ethos, you, you like to use that word, uh, that I think are meant to work together. So that's sort of, and it's a win-win because like, it's, I think that's sort of how I'm going forward is trying to, um, and you get, you do get a little bit better price, but you also just get a better fit long-term. So. Yeah. Yeah. When you have that kind of values and culture fit, uh, you know, sometimes that can really speak to employees where certain employees are going to be attracted to it. And, and some may need to, you know, may, may need to either, it's not a fit. Move yeah. in that direction or, or move in a, in a different direction, right? And so, um, you know, sometimes that happens with employees, but it can equally happen with your suppliers and vendors and partners where over time, the, the stronger and more, more defined your, your culture becomes, 
uh, you know, you want to find other other strategic partners that that have some kind of values and, and and purpose and cultural alignment as well. So I think that's I think that's wise. It's certainly a piece of of that conscious capitalism perspective. Is you know whether that's whether that means in your supply chain, if you really care about sustainability, well, let's make sure that you know sustainability is is a really important key in the people that we're working with or culture or, or whatever whatever those really important concepts in in your practice are. So, I agree. Yeah, well said. <laughs> so one of the things that that I wanted to to talk with you about as well is. There's this this crazy thing that a couple of a couple of crazy guys have been doing down at Grayson Bakery uh, for for the past 35 years, where they don't do any kind of interviews, they don't do any kind of background checks, they don't do any kind of drug tests. Uh, they have you put your name on a list, and when your name gets to the top of the list, you're hired. They're down in Yonkers, New York. They were the first B Corp in in New York State. Uh, it was it was uh, you know started. For it's been going for 35 years now. It sounds like this crazy idea, uh, but they've they've been doing it for a while. They've they've figured a few things out, and you may never have heard of Grayson Bakery. But uh, for those those listeners who have ever had Ben and Jerry's ice cream, uh, if you've had any anything with brownies in it, you have uh, you have definitely had some Grayson Bakery brownies before. And they say that they don't hire people to bake brownies. They bake brownies so that they can hire people. <laughs> and uh, and so that really and, and actually going back to to what we were just talking about with those strategic partnerships, right? Is that was Ben and Jerry said we have this ethos of conscious capitalism. We want to get our brownies from a company that that has a similar ethos. Um, but now Grayson has kind of figured out this system to the point where they want to share it. They want to share it with the world and say. We think more organizations could follow an, an open hiring model or, or at least lower the barriers to entry that, that often get put in place because they get folks that you know, may have a criminal record or, or are otherwise disenfranchised from a, a typical system. Uh, and so now we are lucky enough to, to in Rochester, uh, thanks to UTI, uh, have the, the first potential outpost of kind of this franchise of open hiring in Rochester to really bring these concepts to Rochester for some more inclusive prosperity in town. So how did you hear about uh, open hiring and how did you, as crazy as they were to try it, how did you get so crazy to, uh, to be the first pilot for it? It's an amazing, uh, Andrew said it beautifully, but it's a, it's a beautiful place down there. And uh, it was actually started by a Buddhist monk. I'm not sure right. if you said that, but a Buddhist monk started this place. Maybe you said that. But uh, So I was drawn to it. Um, I went to a conscious capitalism uh, conference in Philadelphia. Were you at that one, Andrew? Yeah. yeah okay, yeah. So uh, um, I know your dad is at most of them too, but uh, so Mike Brady, the president, was speaking, and I just... No relation, by the way. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, great guy, and he was just dynamic speaker, did a beautiful job presenting, and um, had a chance to meet him uh, quite a bit afterwards, and uh, he actually has roots here in Rochester, in Greece, New York, so another a nice chance to talk. So uh, um, Andrew and uh, his father and I ended up talking quite a bit with Mike. It's a lot of Brady's in one room, but... Uh, <laughs> It was just a, it was an automatic fit because what I loved about Mike was he's a businessman that uh, really believes um, an open hiring model is a great business model as well as a way to really help people. And uh, I had naturally done this sort of thing for many years, you know. I had, uh, you know, it's a tough work to get, get people's hard. And uh, my HR department's amazing. We got, you know, three people that, you know, we do background checks, drug checks. It's, you know, it's so interesting when you look at it. You're trying to find reasons not to hire people. Mm. And it's, it's a process of elimination. So you're the best people. And, it's, and it makes sense. So don't, by no means am I throwing that system out. We, we try to hire the very best we can. But uh, the interesting thing is we've had people that look perfect on paper that end up, you know, either stealing or doing bad things or... So it's it's there's no black and white test that's that fixes it. So um, we had some interesting experiences uh, with um, 
people that had some challenges and we knew about them and we said, you know, you're such a good person. Let's see if we can, I talked to the customer and said, this, this person just seems like a great fit, but they do have a criminal record and they just, they haven't really worked for five years and, you know, and the customer was like, yeah, let's try it out. And so we had great success because um, quite often people that um, are disenfranchised, they want to get back in so bad they need a chance. Mm-hmm. So I found the energy some of these people bring is just so uplifting and, and awesome. They actually appreciate that, um, you know, lower uh, service level job. You know, they're so thankful. So that happened, you know, sort of um, organically in my company for years. And then when I found that Grayston had really had a best practices and standard operating procedures about it, it, it even, it really excited me. So um, the Rochester idea is still in its infancy though. So there's sure. a, it's a, it's going to be called the uh, Open Hiring Accelerator. And uh, the idea is um, to not just um, give them a job, which we will do. There's, you know, we're going to have partners that help us give these folks work, including CleanCraft, but it's more about getting them to really not just have a job and get a paycheck. It's to succeed in life and really get to the next level. So it's it's a coaching and mentoring and training thing where you take them as, as, as see minor things like transportation and housing and how they're eating and just trying to really coach and retrain them to get back in and really, you know, um, have the dignity and respect and of their family again because a lot of them have been a little out of circulation for a while and it's it's just been a blessing uh it's still a work in progress we're we're really jazzed about it and uh we're actually writing a a big business plan for it as we speak so we're hoping to be live you know months from now so yeah uh, it's so, so exciting it's, yeah it should be pretty cool I, I so. know I the first I, I didn't realize that that was the the first time that, that you met Mike so it was the, the same time that, that I did as well down in down in Philadelphia uh, and, and I remember walking up to him afterwards and just kind of saying wow this is so incredible amazing that you're you know giving these folks a second chance and he's like oh well many of them never had a first chance to begin with you know you talk about the school to prison pipeline or you know growing up especially in Rochester here with really high levels of poverty where sometimes, you know, people, people just the influences that they have or their backs up against the wall and they do what they have to do and sometimes they get caught, right? And so uh, being able to instead give them these opportunities um, is just so, so powerful and, and so grateful to, to you for kind of, like, like you're saying, having the, having the ability to do this, but also the the whole point is that it makes business sense too. You know, it's gonna it's gonna help our, our Rochester region uh, while also helping uh, helping these these folks thrive, helping the businesses. You know, find some find some employees that, like you said, they're they're hungry to get back into it. Uh, they they really wanna they want to contribute in a positive way if they can. Um, and and we just wanna we wanna make those opportunities uh, available as much as possible. So. Um, very, very grateful for, for you to be, be taking on this, this project and excited to see where it might go. Um, but I'm, I'm curious because we've talked a little bit about the ROI. We've talked a little bit about how profits uh, and culture aren't necessarily against, you know, against each other. I know that you're in, in a lot of different circles in, in business and, and with a lot of different CEOs. Why do you think, what are some of the barriers that you see um, from more CEOs or more businesses adopting a more more conscious mindset. Good question. Um, let, I'll sort of tie in a little bit about Grayston and the open hiring um, model because I think quite often um, CEOs and you know you say people that own their own businesses, it's tough and it's hard. And uh, um, Similarly, with when the open hiring model, like if you care about somebody, you're tough on them sometimes. So, um, what I loved about Grayston is that their big thing is not a handout; it's a hand up. Mm-hmm. And if you care about somebody, like if you have kids, if you have if you have a great employee, you want them to do well, so you you push them, you know, because you really do care. Versus handouts and just hoping they survive the day and get through the day. So. Um, 
I think holding people accountable of being tough and hard-nosed and fair and consistent um, is what the open hiring model does. But also I think that's what some CEOs think you can't do that and have this great love and culture. But I, again, don't think that – I think it's the opposite because you can even be – if they trust and believe that you have their best interest at heart, you can actually be tougher on them and make them – help them get educated about why their decisions mean so much, why their choices make a difference, not just, you know, for, for that day's thing about the bigger picture in the business and in their life. So like, um, I think you can be a, a great manager that holds people accountable and have a really awesome love and culture. I think a lot of CEOs tend to think, and I think it's, 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 um, I don't think it's, I think it's just sort of a stereotypical thing sometimes that you can't have both. And I think the truth is the best cultures are hard driving, you know, um, pushing to succeed together because the culture allows them to do that. They're not afraid to fail. They they make mistakes. They try stuff. They think outside the box. They they don't listen to the boss all the time. They say they tell the boss, no, that's not true. That's not the way we should do it. And they're strong enough to do that in meetings, you know. So um that's why I think people have the it's, – it's one side or the other. Like I'm a great businessman. I'm hard. I'm tough, right? But you can have a killer culture and be tough and, and help the bottom line. So it go, it's sort of the paradox of – it's a paradox. But it's, it's I think, proven itself over and over that uh, it's, it's, it's the best way to get a hard-driving, um, self-correcting company is through a great culture and holding people accountable because you love them so much you're tough on them. You know? Yeah. So um, that's. I hope I answered your question. No, no, it's a great. Roundabout way, but that's. I, I, I think that's the that's the key to the kingdom. You know. I and I I want to I want to go back to one of the things you're saying because it's something I hear very often in terms of having employees that are you know willing to admit mistakes or or willing to you know fail or try something or you know uh, take a risk. Uh, it's it's something that gets talked about a lot, but it's certainly a lot harder to to implement uh, to actually get employees that can do that and to create the kind of culture where it's it's safe to do that. And so I'm wondering for for those listeners who um, may want to move in that direction with their culture but haven't been able to, if you have any practices that you have or tips or advice on how to create that kind of culture where people are are more comfortable, you know, admitting mistakes or admitting when they're when they're struggling. It's, it's got to be very intentional because I think we're fighting um, just the universe. You know, I think the world is not thinking that way. You know, I think people tend to uh, CYA and they get nervous and they just um, protect their space and their little, their little uh, you know, fiefdom. So I think it has to be extremely intentional. And you really, um, when the mistake happens, when you got to cherish that moment and thank them for trying and really capture you know, catch them doing it, you know what I mean? And thank them in front of the group and really, um, it's got to be very intentional and it's got to be throughout the system because quite often I found some great managers that I've, that I've you know, had to let go because that just wasn't their nature. They just were top-down micromanaging, you're like, they're nice people, but they're just never going to let people underneath them do anything. I mean, it was, it was uh, just not a healthy fit, you know? So they, they're working someplace where that's, some, you know, a more valued, uh, you know, um, you know, characteristic. So, um, I think it has to be extremely intentional and I think you got to live it every day. I mean, I like to laugh and like enjoy every day. We're doing the best we can every day. We're not perfect. I give them a little space to say, cause it's a, t- every job is tough. And it just, I think if you just have a little, um, you know, give them a 10,000 foot view that, you know, we're doing the best we can today. We'll let the chips fall where they may. We get up the next day. We do the same thing again, and the business will be fine. And that's, I think, it, it, people get less nervous and less um, worried. And I think that's when real great things happen in a business. So um, I guess I, that's pretty, you know. No, it's great. Yeah, that, you know, it's, it's, it's not, I don't have a, a you know, obviously a set formula, but I just think it's every day living that, that, uh, and, and, me demonstrating it to these guys every day, you know. That's- and as you're saying, even even celebrating it sometimes. I know there's a there's a great TED Talk uh, Astro Teller who's at, at Google's, uh, you know, their their um, 
moonshot factory, <laughs> they call it, where they where they take big risks and and they celebrate. Um, you know, they they say it's not a failure if you if the project you're working on you know doesn't succeed. It's only failure when you've recognized that it's not going to succeed and you're covering it up or you're not bringing it out or you're not telling people, right? So it's it's like instead. No, let's go at the hardest problem first. Let's charge right at it. And if we're going to, let's, so that we can find out sooner rather than later that this isn't going to work. And then it's okay to, you know, ax that project and fail and we'll celebrate it. And they, and they do just like you're saying. (laughs) Fail fast. Um, Yeah, fail fast. And then, and, and don't, don't try to, you know, cover it up or you, it's only the, they, they try to create the mindset anyways, where it's only failure when you've recognized it's not going to work and you keep pushing forward anyways, just because you want to want to cover it up or sweep it under the rug so um could not agree more yeah yeah, yeah. it's a it's a it's a great great ted talk uh astro teller worth checking out so i'm i i'd love to hear a little bit you know we talked a little bit about kind of the uh the franchise that you were a part of and how you felt like they really had uh, more of a more of an evolved purpose than maybe your typical company would but has there been anything along your path that has contributed to your kind of growth, uh, you know, as a leader and in, in your evolution of, of your kind of consciousness as a leader. How do you um, how do you bring that about uh, in in your own in your own day to day practices or, or programs or books or anything like that? I think, uh, like everyone else, you you have a career and you have some ups and downs. I think uh, quite often all the ups you 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 want to put on your resume and you're so excited about and want to you know when someone asks you know what'd you do and you had this great success. Um, as I look back, the failures are really what brought me um, closer and closer to really being a great leader. You know, because uh, early on in your career, I had that the, the um, I had a. I mentioned earlier a business that looked like it was going to be unbelievably successful, this remediation company. I literally was like printing money, I felt like. It was, and then to have the whole thing fail so quickly, or, or not fail, but went south so quickly, um, I think you get started getting perspective as you get older that uh, there's more than just the bottom line, and then you start um, seeing success stories when you do fail and how you come back. And it, I think it gives you that perspective to um, see the bigger picture. And um, so truthfully, like my failures have really made me more and more conscious over the years. I had Mm. a failed marriage. So Mm. that was a challenging time, Uh, divorced with three beautiful children. But that was a terrible time in my life, but it made me more conscious. I got closer to God and I think I was a better employee after, uh, employer after that, you know. So, um, you know, it's sort of a catch thing, but like, when you're down is when you really sort of learn about who you are and then how do you solve when you're down? How are you going to dig yourself out of it? Do you uh, blame others and, and really just, you know, cause havoc or do you look deep and, you know, figure different ways to get, get through it? So I found um, some of the real challenges in my life for what I think have made me a better and better leader, you know, by failing, really. I mean, there were, there's some, they're true failures, you know, they're real problems. So, uh and you don't candy coat it, it, you know. And I and I, I own those things. I screwed up on a lot of things, and that's that's life. And I mean, people that deny that are, it's it's just doesn't make sense. So, I I, failing is uh, part of the gig, and I embrace it, and I keep trying to work from it and improve myself. So that's yeah, it. yeah, it's so. those tough decisions or or the the tough you know pulling yourself up, uh, getting up off the ground when you when you stumble and. And so I appreciate you being being willing to share a few of those stumbles <laughs> with us. Um, There's talk, more, believe me. <laughs> speaking of speaking of tough choices, uh, you know, th- that's another time where you can talk big about purpose and culture. And when when times are going well, when the business is going well, maybe you got maybe you're flushed with cash and you can you know dole out a few extra you know benefits or bonuses or whatever. <laughs> um, but sometimes when when times are tough. Uh, and and you still stay true to that culture, um, that can speak even more volume to, to, to your employees and to your customers that, that know we're really committed to this message. So I'm wondering if there's any experiences or stories that you can recall of a time where you had to make a tough decision where it was, you know, maybe, maybe it was tough just because it was a difficult 
conversation you had to have, or maybe it was going to cost you money in the short term, but it was the best for the, the purpose and the, the culture and the, and the long-term viability of the company. Any kind of tough choices that you've had to make uh, to really truly live that purpose? Absolutely, yes. So a number of them, but uh, a couple that come on top of mind. There's just been some times when, uh, for various business reasons, um, things change dramatically, like a, um, lost some very, very large accounts. You know, you have something for 15 or 20 years, and all of a sudden it's gone. And, like, you've had that, you've been working that. It's just you, you take it for granted, and then it's gone. And um, having to tell, a, you know, the group of the management team that we are really, really in a challenging situation. And uh, um, instead of sort of, uh, you know, um, candy coating it, just telling the truth and really asking for their help. I was, again, like I was really nervous because we were, it was a, we, had, we had so many good years, you know, you have five, six, eight, ten years in a row that are awesome. Everyone's like high and, and they realize, oh, we had a couple of challenges, but they don't realize it's, it's, this is serious. And so when, uh, I did a sort of transparent thing by just showing everybody everything and saying, guys, here's where we're at. I need your help. And I could not believe the outpouring, you know, mm. it was like uh, George Bailey on the thing. Like my workers were like wanted to loan me money. I'm like, I don't need money, but like they're so loving, you know, because uh, we were tight and it, it just some uh, two or three bad things happened at the same time. And it was just instantaneous. They were like, son of a gun, this is a real challenge. And we weren't, you know, in jeopardy of going down or anything, but it was just so amazing. So instead of sort of pounding the table and saying, we got to do this and we have to do that. I just took my top 15 people and said, guys, here's where it's at, you know? And I was um, completely blown away by the response. It was, um, and it got us closer. So again, like another, the worst time ended up being the best time. And the vast majority of those people are still with me right now. Mm -hmm. And they're amazing team members because they've been there and that, and you create the relationship during that terrible time. And, and it, it, um, both personally and business-wise, that is when you really do get a lot of amazing connection when you fight through an issue. So, um, yeah, that those those tough times are are awesome in a way. If it's not fun during it, it's not fun at all during it. But they're fun when you work your way through them. So, absolutely, yeah. So as we're looking ahead, because I'm really excited to to be catching you at a time when this when this open hiring is, you know, just getting going. It's really evolving the purpose of clean craft and, and kind of evolving your purpose of what you're bringing to Rochester. What does success look like in five or 10 years, I guess both for clean craft and for open hiring, although, you know, those are obviously intertwined to some extent for you, but um, what, what are you dreaming about in the, in the coming years? Well, the open hiring is going to be obviously totally separate from clean craft, but um, we'll use some of their services, sure. but I, I love that mission so much that I think I can, I'll get a lot of personal fulfillment. So I do hope to really be an active part of that. Not just, it's, we'll start in Rochester, but I think it's a truly scalable thing around the country and the world. So I'm, it does light my, it really lights me up. So I'm hoping um, that develops, you know, we'll just keep working hard at it. Um, so I, I get a lot of satisfaction because um, I really think it's, it's not just, um, it's, it's making a deep, profound difference in, in, in people. The dignity of work to me is such a big thing. So I, I love to continue that work. And uh, Clean Crash have a, has a lot of similar things. What I'm really looking forward to the next five or 10 years is um, helping some of my major leadership team um, become part owners and share in the wealth of a, of a very successful company. Like I've, um, I've had a great run. I'm going to retire at some point. So I've got t- teammates that I, 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 they're amazing. I hope they um, you know, this is their time. They're younger. This is their time to shine and develop their, you know, um, their career. And I, I hope it's with clean craft so that I love the idea of mentoring and training and coaching them to, you know, they, they want to take potentially equity positions or if we do sell it, they'll get a piece of the action. I, I love, um, engaging younger people to really, you know, um, be successful personally and professionally. So like that lights me up seeing, you know, some, you know, 20 or 30 year old that's been with me that really wants to own something, change their life and clean craft can be part of it. And I can hopefully be part of it. So that, 
that excites me. So, hmm. yeah. So, so as you're as you're um, moving forward, and certainly certainly still have plenty of energy, and certainly uh, you know you're still still excited about what you're doing, but I do see kind of that that legacy mentality starting to starting to creep in there of of, of what's coming next. So. Um, what does that what does that mean for for Mr. Hookway then? What what does that mean for for Ty? If if you are uh, if you transition away from from Cleancraft, will you be focusing more on open hiring, or are you gonna just be traveling more and riding off into the sunset? Or no, I, I I will be actually involved in both uh, for for a substantial period of time. But I, I would hope it would be in a true CEO role where I'm mentoring and training and coaching not as much less and less in the day and day less in the day to day but um, I wish you know I love what I do every day so I mean I have um, I'm blessed with tons of energy and strength and uh, I'll probably do that for a good long while but my I, I, I think you have to start thinking about it early um, sure. you know it could be 5 10 plus years away um, but I you have to start being intentional about finding these people and, and making sure you really are um, understanding each other to make that happen. It doesn't, like, if you're 65 and say, I'd like to make the switch now, it doesn't happen like that. So I'm 10 or 15 years in advance trying to really think that through and, and um, create the space where it can happen. So Now, what do you think about, uh, you know, I, it's great that you are able to, uh, you know, create this culture in probably an industry where there's not a lot of people that are thinking about conscious capitalism, right? What has your response been like uh, among employees? Uh, do they resonate with with this message that you're trying to bring them? Uh, because I know that you, sometimes the industry or the population, you know, is, is people use that as an excuse to say, oh, no, I can't do conscious capitalism. We're not, we're not Google. We don't have these, you know, high tech employees. What is, what is that like? What has the response been like as you continue to kind of push the envelope of, of a conscious company at CleanCraft? It's, it's unbelievable. Not perfect though. I mean, we, um, you know, we, like I, we fail sometimes, but we, we're constantly hearing from our employees that they were so different than any place else they've ever worked in this industry. So um, whether it's giving them second chances, being open-minded, listening more, um, you know, it's great. To, it's gratifying to hear that from folks. But um, um, so I, I just think it's an ongoing thing that, you know, I, I think – the employees love it. I love it, but it's not. It's you never quite get there. Like it's it's that you continually reach for it. So, um, but the industry is notoriously top down. It's it's uh, command and control. You do what I say. Do exactly what I say when I say. And um, I think we're we're blowing that away by you know we're you know very successful in Rochester and across upstate New York. And I think. Um, challenging others that are have that top-down mentality by getting the best talent in town. So I I love what the, what's happening and I love the uh I think it's a huge competitive advantage. So I think the uh industries have to all industries have to look at this type of model. So I Thank you for that. Yeah. You know, you're 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 living it and and I truly believe that conscious capitalism and and culture and purpose can be a competitive advantage and and quite honestly a more sustainable source of competitive advantage than, than a lot of other other things out there. So um, you're really proving proving that it works at CleanCraft, which, which is exciting. Um, any any advice as we're as we're kind of starting to wrap up, just for for leaders who may be thinking about, gosh, I would love to do this in in my business, but I don't know where to start, or I don't know how to start moving in this direction, or um, you know, what, what kinds of things would you tell a, a business leader who wants to create a more conscious company um, and, and maybe either feels overwhelmed or, or feels like they're, they're so far away from that and they don't know where to begin? Well, first, come to our conference, right? Yeah, so, there you what's go. What's that, May? May 21st. Yeah, so there's a Conscious Capitalism Conference, and uh, we'll be sending out a lot of stuff to my friends of mine and other and CEOs, but I really believe um, my my message to folks is it's, it's doable. It's, but you have to be intentional. You have to work at it. Um, it's not rocket science, but you have to, it's a, it's a, it's a learned thing. Don't, uh, try it on, you know, read some books, get a feel for it, but there's a lot of great professionals that can help you really do it. I think it's, it's, 
it's a it's such an up and coming thing. There's so much so much good happening. You can um, I always believe in making the learning curve as you know um, steep as you can, so you get it over with. So I just think there's so much talent and skill out there that. Uh, Find someone you believe in and trust and, and jump into it because it, it, it can quickly transform your company. So um, just start something. You know, and I would say just, just it, it little bits. It just tends to multiply on itself. You start, it, it really um, – I think people tend to do a little bit of it and uh, think, well, it didn't work that much. I, I think it's – you've got to sort of get intentional and, and focus and keep, uh, keep an eye on the ball. And, um, but – Frankly, it's it's not a panacea either. It's 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 part of the solution. Absolutely, and, and every CEO knows that, like there's a multiple things you're working on. But I d- I think it's an important piece of the puzzle that uh, that really makes a big difference. So I think you make a great point though in terms of just the commitment to it because I think a lot of people maybe read a book or get excited about it or go to a conference or whatever and. Uh, try to implement some things and because it doesn't happen right away or because they get some pushback or because maybe they talk to a few people that have more of the old school mentality that dissuade them from trying it, that they, uh, that they might give up too early. And I, I guess in a lot of ways that's part of what we're trying to do with conscious capitalism here in Rochester or, or really with the, with the whole international movement is to create a, a learning community of more of those leaders that can talk to each other, learn from each other, encourage and energize each other. Uh, you know, in addition to our monthly meetings where you can maybe learn about some, some local businesses that are doing great things. We have our annual conference, as you mentioned. There's an international conference that'll be in Phoenix this year. Um, we have a, a round table of CEOs that can, can work through some, you know, conscious business challenges and get feedback from each other. So, um, yeah, I, I hope that I hope that we're moving in that direction anyways to, to help people commit to it over the longer term and encourage people over the longer term. And uh, I really appreciate all that you've done to be a, a, a thought leader and, and not only in thought, but in, in action too, to, to do this in our community, not only with your company, but bringing open hiring to town. And uh, thanks so much for joining us today. And like I said, thanks as well for, for all that you're doing each and every day for conscious capitalism in our community, Ty. Thanks again. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate the time. This episode is brought to you by Wicked Squid Studios, Rochester, New York's premier podcast development team. The Wicked Squid family brings ideas to life through the art of audio production. From custom jingles and creative services to studio memberships and educational curriculum, their outfit strives to empower all members of society to build a more equal and colorful world. Learn more about their operation at wickedsquidstudios.com.